Hello and welcome to Real Professional, where real professionals have really professional conversations. I'm DreadXP Rock on Tour, Jan Solstrom, today joined by DreadXP Head of Production, Ted Henschke. Say hi, Ted. Hey, how's it going, everyone? Also joined by Abby Smith, a.k.a. Scruncho, uh, Production Assistant for DreadXP. Say hi, Abby. Hello. And our guest today is somebody that you've probably seen a lot if you're ever on Twitter or in indie horror circles. It is Gavin G. Money from Two Star Games. Say hi, Gavin. It's it's me. It's me. It's me, you I boy. I was kind of expecting him to be like, yo, it's me, <laughs> Money. So we've got a, a pretty... G-Money in the house. Got a pretty stacked <laughs> episode today, so DJ, drop that sick beat. So, let's start, as always, with the uh, the good old gamer safety update. Whenever you all play games, do you are you one of the people, any three of you, that moves the controller around like as you play the game? Just like very active with your controller? Okay, so, yeah, I mean, of course, like, the closer you lean to the screen, the faster you go, right? Yeah, yeah, right? Exactly. That's what I do. And it works every time. It does not work every time because um, Major League pitcher Jesus Lizardo of the Oakland A's, that's in Ted's neck of the woods, uh, California, um, he was playing a game. He did not say which game, but he is one of the people that uh, you know moves the controller around whenever he plays. He thrust forward. These, these are his words. Thrust. Thrust forward and broke his pinky on his coffee table. <laughs> that's That's such a brutal injury. Like... But the real question is, did he finish the match of whatever he was playing? Yes, and actually, he went that later that day to pitch a Major League Baseball game, and he talked to his trainer, and he talked to his coach, and he said, I, I bonked it pretty hard, but I think I can still pitch. So Put he, me in the game, coach. I still got this. <laughs> he pitched three innings, and then he left the game, and uh, they said it was actually good that he had pitched because his hands swelled up so large from his three innings that they were forced to get an x-ray and they're like, Oh, it's actually broken. You've been pitching with a, a broken pinky finger for three innings now. Oh my God. But Imagine they said, being such a hand goat. That, like you can't even feel when your pinky breaks. You're just like such a hand master. <laughs> like you're like, I didn't even tell. Yeah. They said if he had not pitched those three innings, he could have gone on to like play the next game and not even realize what was happening. But the extra swelling caused by pitching, forced them to get an x-ray earlier and find the problem earlier. So it's kind of a blessing in disguise that he pitched with a broken pinky. That's always what I like say when I do stupid shit It's like, it's a blessing in disguise because we figured out what the problem is now. Like, well, and you have to wonder, is my pinky just thick all of a sudden, or is it just swollen and broken? I actually like, if I'm trying to do like a mental map map of like my hand, I can't, I can't really tell how thick my pinky is. Right. Like, I don't yeah, remember my hands that much. That's what I'm saying. Gavin, how thick is your pinky? You, you know, measure? I haven't, I have not measured it lately. It's been a little while. So I, I honestly, I, I couldn't tell The, the I, world I do, needs to I know. I hear that like weight gaining on your pinkies is like a really big issue these days. That's why I'm worried about Thanksgiving. <laughs> don't, don't, Abby judges dudes by their fatty pinkies. <laughs> if you're really taking care of yourself, you're going to keep that shit slim. It's like if you're under sa- under six feet and with like a pinky above the circumference of three centimeters, need not apply. It's just gonna all go to my pinky. I can't. Yeah. I can't eat good food. It all goes to the pinky. <laughs> <laughs> that thick, that thick pinky. But so the reason that we had you on, Gavin, was of course to talk about the the spooky train. Everybody's talking about the spooky train. I can't. I can't walk down the street without someone grabbing my shoulders. And yanking me towards them and going, hey, have you seen the spooky train game? I'm not. I'm I literally I'm only here today on this podcast because I thought we were talking about like how how bad like gamers have been with getting exercise that their pinkies are now the size of of like their legs and stuff. I thought that I thought this was like an actual awareness for for uh, obese pinkies. 
Oh, yeah, I know. Unfortunately, this is not. Uh, we just tricked you with it being a fitness podcast. It's it's been a fitness podcast for the last sixty episodes. Now we're talking about video games. The first time. Uh, I mean, but yeah. On on a real note, Choo uh, Choo Charles. Wow. I, I when I first saw that trailer, uh, it literally I, I I almost popped out a turd. It was just so. It was so cool. It was, and I love it, it especially because like. I'm a really big fan of of horror when when it's seemingly supposed to be innocent and happy, and then you have this like kind of like Thomas the Train inspiration horror game here. Thomas the Train. <laughs> it's Thomas the Tank Engine. I thought it was always Thomas the Train. It was always called Thomas the Train growing up where I was. It was called Thomas the Train nowhere. It's Thomas the Tank Engine. No, people yeah, you know, surprising. That's that's been a topic of debate in all of my comment sections. Is it oh, Thomas the Train or Thomas the Tank Engine? I I think I it's Thomas the Tank Engine. It. One second, I'm gonna visibly type this in. I'm audibly type this in. Thomas. Well, but the see, train. this is this is the thing. Is is Ted is 32 and I am 24. So we we come from different generations of Thomas the Train or Tank Engine, if so so to speak. So Thomas the Tank Engine is a British anthropomorphized. Okay. So it's Thomas the Tank Engine is is his character, and it's Thomas and Friend is the show, and he, I mean he's the he's the he's the engine. He's not the train. I mean, a train is multiple pieces. Mm-hmm. He can't he can't be the engine and the caboose. Head, <laughs> as most trains are, you know, they got multiple parts to them. Yeah, but the the engine is the front part of the train. Mm-hmm. They're, yeah, they're exactly. separate things. So he couldn't be Thomas the Train because he is the tank engine. Yeah, unless it's like a communist Thomas the Tank Engine, which was a completely different, you know, that was from a completely different era. No, like, I literally, I grew up, because I had Thomas the Train toys. And I grew up, and my parents called it Thomas the Train, I called it Thomas the Train, uh, my siblings called it, and uh, and, and my friends Uh, at that time, you know, we all called it Thomas the Train. Abby, this is is Tank Engine Erasure, what you're doing right now. Yeah, I I agree. I don't. I don't know any different. This is this is actually the first time I've I've ever heard this variation. And so you're saying it's not a variation. It's the official name. <laughs> well, yeah, but like you know, like there's like nicknames for things. You know, were the Berenstein Bears like macaws where you were from too? Like, what else did they have? Like a transformative soul? Like, what else did they transform fundamentally? Ted, I, I feel like my whole life has been a lie. Like I, I'm just I'm just as flabbergasted as the rest of you because like this this actually hurts because I feel like everything has been a lie at this point. All right. You need to to start Gavin, you need to start you need to make the Berenstein Badgers as your next game and then just pretend like it was always that to just further gaslight 100%. people. We'll be here for it. <laughs> you know that that's uh, I'll I'll add that to the list. I'll add that to the list. Please. <laughs> But I saw the the train game. I saw Choo Choo Charles. And I remember I saw the trailer right before we had our Dread XP Spooky Showcase. And I sent the tweet to Abby. And I think I, I sent it. I put it in our work chat. And I was like, this this is everything. And I just want to know, like, where did that idea come from? Because that's so fucking bonkers. But I love it so much. And I'm like, why has no one else done this? Yes. Yeah, so is, is that a, is that the question then? Yeah. The question is, where, where did the, the idea the come from? Of, yeah. All right. Yeah. So, all right. So, towards the end of the development of uh, Paper Smile, um, which was my last game I published, uh, I was kind of starting to think about, you know, new game ideas. And just kind of as I was thinking uh, one day, I kind of just realized how there just really weren't any games existing that um, were like based off of kids' TV shows. But, uh, you know, as you know, like horror games are infamous for taking like childhood, you know, happiness and just making it horrifying. You know, you got like, you know, Five Nights at Freddy's and all that kind of stuff. So it just seemed weird to me that, you know, kids TV shows had been like almost entirely untapped. So growing up, Thomas the Tank Engine was like one of my favorites. So that was like the first show that came to mind. And you know, there's like kind of this weird Thomas the Tank Engine horror community with like, you know, um, Tom Coben's uh, animations and stuff where he's got like Thomas with the spider legs. And so that was kind of where the initial idea came from. 
It was just like, you know, why, why not make a kids TV horror game? I fully agree that that's a good idea. <laughs> yeah, we are definitely going to have to look into that. Uh, yeah, we'll have to look into that. <laughs> we should hit up John Shemansky to make that. Yeah, I hear he's pretty good at that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, for the listeners at home that are not total dreadheads at this point, trademark, uh, we are currently in the production for uh, My Friendly Neighborhood, which is a uh, game that bears similarities, but no discernible uh, uh, similarity. No, no, it's a bears similarities, but no copyright infringing elements of uh, children's TV puppet shows, uh, of which there are many, and we will not specify which uh, acted as inspirations. Good choice. Ted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the whole idea is just super cool. You know, uh, it's just there's something very special about the type of horror where. Like if you show this to your children or your adult children or just adults, you know, some 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 people never grow up. You know, sometimes they're just a children, children, and adults bodies. But, you know, like I, I, f- I feel attacked right now, Abby. I feel attacked. Sorry, Ted. I didn't mean to call you. I didn't say Ted, your child self and your adult body. You know, I didn't use you as a specific example. But, you know, I guess I guess the beans have been spilt. I'm sorry. Don't lie. Before Vince edited it, she didn't say some people. She said some Ted's never grow up. That was in the original cut. I I will not confirm nor deny at this point. But yeah, it, it's just it's such a cool concept because it adds like an extra layer of natural creepiness when you take things that are seemingly innocent that can ruin your childhood and you put them in horror settings. It's one of my favorite kinds of horror. For that, for that fact, because it's just so interesting how how um, things that are supposed to bring us happiness and joy and comfort, especially as children, they turn into trains with spider legs, and you must take your your machine guns and shoot them. Right? Like it, it seems like things escalate so quickly. Yeah, I mean, thank you. It's it's yeah, it's kind of just the whole idea at this point is just to make it just a weird crazy over the top (laughs) kind of thing and yeah i I think you know adding just kind of like a an extra element of you know just like familiarity it's just a nice added layer of depth um that's hard to get in in other ways and i've seen that you've been uh one thing that's kind of different i i deal not deal with but i talk with a lot of indie developers and of course i work for an indie games company but the way that you're doing this uh, with Choo Choo Charles so far, your community interaction is insane. I don't know where you find all the time. Like, I see that you have devlogs up on YouTube, you know, little short, funnier videos about your process and your cursed horror game and things like that. And I, I just don't see that level of interaction. Like, where do you find the time to do all this? Um, I just do. I mean, you know, like the YouTube stuff, um, it does take a lot of time. Um, and I'm trying to figure out, uh, you know, how I can scale, not, not scale it back, but do it faster. You know, I'm looking into like hiring a, an editor or something, uh, for that. But, um, I don't know. I mean, it's just kind of a, a matter of just working it into the schedule and just kind of accepting that, you know, I'm not going to be putting, you know, a hundred percent of my time into development that, you know, maybe it's like. 60 or 70% of my time and just kind of knowing that going into things um, and just knowing that, you know, the marketing is going to be a, a big part of development, you know, like the, the two are, the two jobs are very much intertwined. So I, I think it's, it's kind of just about the mindset and just being okay with spending a, a large portion of time and all that kind of stuff. So I'm actually curious because, um, you know, I, we were watching some GDC talks recently and uh, about marketing in games and stuff. And one of the things that um, is, is, is hard for an indie developer in general is getting those, like, that first core group of eyeballs on your game. You know, like, you can have a really, really, really cool game. And, and that's why, like, it can be frustrating when you get the advice of, like, well, the first thing you need to do is make a good game and then people will find it. Because it's like, well, you know, I, I think my game is pretty good. I'm not out here trying to make shitty games, you know, like... But how, how do you find the, the market for it? And um, one of the things that we're saying is that, like, a YouTube channel is is a good way to market, but you're not going to see big spikes from it. You're going to see kind of more of, like, a consistent fan base growth. And I know that, um, you know, me personally, I've, I've liked your work since uh, there was a video that you guys put out a while back about 
a diorama that you had made for my beautiful paper smile, which I just thought was like a really cool and creative thing. Um, but can you kind of walk us through kind of like that, that, that your process of like kind of building your fan base and your community and kind of the, 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 the ups and downs of like trying to create your own YouTube channel, you know, the things you thought would land, but didn't, but the things that like kind of paid off in time. Yeah, for sure. So ultimately it's, it's been, you know, a good two years of like really like getting into things and like trying stuff out, but you know, on, on all social media, you know, YouTube, Twitter, Reddit, uh, recently on, on, you know, TikTok and, and all this stuff. So it's been a lot of experimenting and just learning how all of these different platforms work, first of all, and figuring out just kind of getting into the mindset of somebody who's just, you know, not, not a game developer, not somebody who's trying to market their projects, but just as somebody who's trying to, you know, get a lot of exposure on, you know, any of these platforms. And so over time, you know, just on YouTube, you know, like I, I, at first I was just doing like Unreal Engine tutorials on there. And, you know, I was putting those out just because I was like, oh, hey, these are actually getting a, a couple views. You know, I was getting a, a couple hundred, a couple thousand views per video. It's nothing insane, but I, I thought it was good. So I kept on doing it. And so, you know, over the course of about a year, year and a half, um, you know, I, I'd grown to a, a couple thousand subscribers just off of my tutorials. But at that kind of, at that point I was kind of realizing just that, um, there's a very limited growth in that kind of a, um, genre, you know, in kind of that, that educational space. And, um, was also just, just kind of realizing that, uh, like long term, it wasn't really going to help my, you know, studio at all. And I wasn't going to be able to capture that audience uh, when trying to market projects later on. So I kind of started looking into, you know, other kinds of content that I could make. And, um, you know, I started making more like general game development advice, kind of more along the lines of, uh, you know, channels like uh, Jonas Tyroller or um, Thomas Brush, kind of, you know, just guys like that. And that wasn't working out super well, but, you know, I kind of stuck with it and um, eventually started doing, you know, trying to do more like devlog type stuff and just stuff that would appeal more to players. But since that's what I really kind of ultimately realized, you know, it's going to be the most beneficial long term. And it, it did not go well. It did not go well. My existing audience was not really into it, um, you know, because I'd built up an audience as small as it was, you know, just of game developers that were specifically trying to learn how to use Unreal Engine. And obviously that wasn't, uh, you know, translating over. But it really taught me a lot about um, the YouTube platform, um, you know, just the mindset of like, really like picking the kind of content that you're going to make um, long before you make it. And you know, picking out, you know, topics and stuff based on how many views they're going to get and how well they can perform. And so, you know, I, I was just able to kind of just through that period, really start to get into the mindset of a, an influencer, I, I guess, you know, not, not like I was pulling crazy numbers or anything, but I was just kind of able to see things from a, a very different perspective, um, different from, you know, just someone making games. And so then, you know, like recently, um, that's helped a lot when it comes to, you know, like uh, posting on TikTok, you know, figuring out like what the right kind of things are, you know, to post on there that are going to get people interested and in how to keep them attentive, you know, how to keep uh, watch time up and stuff like that. And then, you know, recently with the, uh, with the devlogs, you know, I, I kind of, I put out a random video after I announced the, the game, uh, Choo Choo Charles. And it did surprisingly well just off of all the search traffic that the game was getting. And so I kind of saw that as an opportunity, put out a few more videos about it. And then I decided, okay, this is, you know, it's something that I can take seriously again. And so I, you know, took the time to put together a, a decent video, um, a few decent videos. And it's, you know, it's been going pretty well so far, just, you know, focusing specifically on, 
you know, making content that'll appeal to players and that is, you know, geared specifically to work well in, you know, all the YouTube algorithm stuff. So that's kind of been the process so far. So, you know, ultimately, um, you know, like the, the previous community building kind of stuff that I did on YouTube didn't really pay off that much. It was really just gaining the knowledge of, you know, how, how to use um, these platforms effectively. So what percentage of your fan base do you think are only here because you tricked them into thinking that you were making a sequel to Choo Choo Rocket? Wait, what? Do you not know Choo Choo Rocket? Yeah, no one knows a Choo Choo Rocket. It's like a fucking Dreamcast exclusive where you like made little rots, rot, rats get into like a spaceship and it had a really cute theme song. It was like Choo Choo Rocket. I don't know. Was, that, that, was a, that was a joke for the old. That was a joke for the olds. It came out in 99. So Is this, is, is it not a sequel to Choo Choo Rocket? That's why I invited you on. Um, oh, no, Frank, I'm sorry. I, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll go. Jan sitting there with his little fucking cartoon mouse ears on. I'm like, wait. We're gonna choo choo rocket follow up. Fuck yeah, yeah. Well, that was a uh, not. You know what? Not all that my jokes can be winners. I, I do my best. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I, I mean, that's a really. I mean, not to. I mean, I think my joke a little bit undercut what you're trying to say, but I, 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 I really like it because it's. It's really hard for a lot of indies to kind of get their head around those different kind of phases of like you know, their career and like being able to roll with the punches. That's like one of the things I've kind of like that, that's been able to really help us at dread XP is like, you know, things change. And if you're not agile with the changes, then, uh, you know, you're basically dead in the water. And I, I don't mean that like, you know, you can't build a core audience, but what you're saying about like, Hey, you know, you got to figure out what your YouTube plan is right away. You know, you basically had to scrap your previous audience in order to try to cultivate this new audience. And it can be really hard to make that jump, you know, especially when you're trying to like, hold on to this with indie. It's like, you know, you're crawling per inch by inch to be recognized and to realize that you might need to course correct and possibly alienate your previous fans in order to bring in a new audience can be really hard. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like I, I actually, you know, about six months ago, like I deleted all of my, all of my, uh, you know, previous tutorials I had done just because I didn't want, you know, new people coming in expecting one kind of content and then, you know, ending up getting another um, just because I was, you know, a problem I thought I was having. And it, and it was a, a, you know, it was a tough decision, you know, that I had to spend some time thinking about. I, I talked with some other YouTube people uh, about that kind of thing. And, you know, ultimately, I mean, it... I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of tough, but yeah, it, it's just kind of, I don't know. You just got to try and try stuff and, and see what works. I mean, it, it ended up working uh, in the end, but uh, yeah, it's kind of impossible to, to know if it will in the moment. Yeah. I mean, what you, another thing that you said that was kind of interesting is that like, you know, you had grown this kind of small audience through your, 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 your tutorials. And um, one of the things that can kind of be misleading is like, you know, a lot of times when you get a lot of interactivity on your stuff, like, it can be from other game devs. But, like, the game dev community is, like, far smaller than the people that, like, buy and play video games, you know? And um, marketing marketing to the fans can be, like, a very, like... It's a weird process, right? Because, like, they fundamentally don't understand what it takes to make a game. And because of that, like, requests and expectations can be very, like, out of whack with reality, you know? But at the same time, like, those are the people that you ultimately have to communicate with. So, like, what would you suggest indies do to try to communicate more with their fans and less with their, like, peers or contemporaries? That's, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. It's not a question I've thought about very much. Um, I, I think, ultimately, you know, just kind of, I don't know, I, I guess just being honest with the, the development and just being like, hey, like, this is, this is what I did. This is a thing I made it took me this long to make it or, or whatever. Um, I, I don't know. It's, it's really hard to say. Well, let me kind of ask you in your own words again, how do you get into that influencer mindset instead of just the developer? Mindset? Um, ultimately it's just about, at least on, you know, the, the platforms I've been using and in the way I've been using them, it's just been about making, uh, like entertaining content, you know, like, like trying to entertain people rather than teach people. Because what a lot of game developers do is like like the only way that they can you know get any views and, and clicks and anything is by 
trying to teach something and you know that that's not good long term so just learning how to make something that people will just be be, be intrigued by be interested in uh be interested in learning more about you know ask them questions that they have to you know watch your stuff or you know read your tweet to to get an answer to just that kind of stuff hmm. that's a good way to look at it i mean it's it's one of those things where it's like it's hard to even know what is like i don't want to say memeable but i will say memeable like what is something that like someone's going to be like ha like that made me entertained because like generally like what what you're going to find is interesting to fans and interesting to other developers is like a very different thing you know yeah yeah it's um yeah i I think it's just a lot about you know focusing on the games that are doing things that you want to to do um you know just observing how people have done successful stuff (laughs) (laughs) copy other people i mean it's a good plan yeah i mean basically you know go by you know whatever proven strategies are out there you know in game development you know iteration time is so slow so there's not a lot of proven strategies and uh the ones that are out there are you know they can be pretty difficult to identify because oftentimes the developers don't even know why they were successful so you you know it, it can be definitely difficult to to determine these these areas but uh, they they are out there they're definitely out there you just gotta spend a lot of time looking for them yeah exactly no i mean i I think it's um it's really cool to see like you know someone who like is is able to like actually utilize the system to their advantage because so often you know so many game developers are fighting well what they feel is fighting against the system fighting against oh this is what you know people are interested in but you know, I don't want to do that or, you know, I don't, I don't like that for whatever reason. And so, you know, it, it kind of feels like, you know, a lot of, especially the indies, indies that I know are like, they feel like they're working against the general audience. They feel like they're working against social media to try to get things done, but it doesn't really need to be that way, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people will, I, I mean, and like, I, I, I totally get that mindset, right? Cause like I was in that for like, four or five years or however long um and yeah it, it's just about um realizing that you know like people aren't <laughs> people aren't against you the, the algorithms aren't against you it's just um a learning because because another thing is is that there's so many games that are objectively good that like you could give to 90 percent of people and they would have fun playing them like they would enjoy them but they wouldn't buy them themselves right because there's just such a big difference between, you know, a game that is objectively good and a game that's actually market friendly, you know? That's uh, so, that's kind of why I like yeah. the yeah. the shotgun, almost shotgun like approach with the collections that uh, Dread XP does is that there might be a game in there that you don't vibe with, but there will be something in there that you will vibe with. Um I kind of like that approach. But at the same time, whenever it comes to like social media and influencing and things like that, you know, I, I run the social media for Dread XP, and uh, a lot of the times, a lot of the time, it's a lot easier to make someone laugh than to go through the trouble to make them really consider something. It, it seems like the the small fast stuff just hits so much harder because our current social media culture is like what is digestible super quick. So I see where you're coming from. Like tutorials and stuff are interesting to a certain subset of the people like i'd be interested in it because i'm learning unreal right now but that's just too much to focus on with our social media climate of you know what can i look at it's funny there's pictures there's words on the pictures i had a good laugh so it, it's yeah you're, you're working with two very different types of of fans on that one so i think that um yeah you it sounds like you came to kind of a crossroads where it was either keep doing these tutorials or embrace this other part of it. And uh, yeah, that must've been really something to think on. Yeah. Yeah, it it was. And you know, it is, I mean, I kind of said it already, but yeah, it's, it's very, they're very different kinds of content. Like ultimately like any developers out there that are listening, just do it the right way first and just focus on entertaining people that might want to buy your game rather than trying to teach other developers because 
it's it's more difficult in the beginning but it will definitely it'll pay off you know was there like a moment where something happened that made you realize okay i need to change my tactics here kind of yeah it it was um yeah kind of a point where my just kind of whole mindset on you know game promotion and stuff kind of started shifting um so it was right after uh we published the third chapter for my beautiful paper smile so we'd launched the first two chapters in early access about four months prior and then in it was like october of last year um we did the third chapter and I just, I, I saw like, like the, you know, the game saw a boost of maybe like a hundred copies or something. And it was just at that moment, I just kind of realized how th- this game that I had spent, you know, years and years making that I, in my mind, I thought I had done everything right. on. I was like, I don't know how I could do anything better on this game. And I was just seeing how like it, it just wasn't working. It wasn't working. And so that kind of took me from, you know, the the typical, you know, generic just kind of, oh, go market your game, post on Reddit and Twitter, and just kind of looking a lot deeper into um just what all these games are doing that are successful and uh, all the ones that are, you know, just like really popping off. So it's um yeah, that, that was kind of when my, my mindset started changing a bit and I started looking into, just looking into everything, you know, stats, numbers, YouTube channels, everything, everything related to games that became successful. And, um, you know, th- there wasn't a single moment there where, where everything clicked. Uh, it was just kind of, you know, all throughout the rest of the development of paper smile i was just constantly just trying to research um you know successful games and just see what what they were doing differently and, and what they all had in common and stuff like that so so you know for your, the developers out there i'm not trying to like get you to like talk about anything that hurts but like what why do you think it is that my beautiful paper smile kind of failed to transact um the there, there's a couple of reasons um the, the main one the main one is simply that it was a linear, very linear story-based game and that the gameplay was very kind of stale. It was very simple, very, very simple gameplay. Not, it's not the kind of gameplay that you'd see in a, in a GIF on Twitter and be like, oh, that looks so fun. Oh, I'd love to play that myself. Like, it just, it wasn't that. And so, you know, you'd see a GIF of the game and you'd be like, eh, yeah, the art's kind of cool, but, you know, I, I'm not going to have fun playing that. Why would I buy it? Or, or you know, you'll see people like, like there's, I, there's a lot of fans of the game that have never played it themselves. They just watch uh, YouTube playthroughs. And, mm-hmm. you know, every YouTube playthrough is the exact same. It's very movie-like. You know, it's, it's extremely linear. The gameplay is all the same. Um, and so there's just not much reason for somebody to to buy the game themselves so that that's kind of a, a big one um that's been kind of an issue that that's probably the the biggest the biggest part of it. it it's funny you say that in general though because like i i was actually thinking that before you even said it is that my beautiful paper smile is is i personally think it's fun to play and to watch um but it's it's very easy to watch and it's aesthetically pleasing to the eye. It has a unique art style and I feel like the whole approach to the game where like you kind of never know what's happening next. You don't know what's around the next corner kind of thing. Um, that's incredibly intriguing, but you don't necessarily have to play it in order to figure that out. Whereas there are some games like, for example, in general, just like FPS games. Like you see someone playing it and you're like, oh, that's cool. But then you kind of want to play it yourself, right? Um, it, it's just, it, it's very interesting uh, that to me that there are some games that are almost more more interesting to some people just to watch. And you find that a lot in like indie horror games, especially in the last 10 years with, with Let's Players in general, is that a lot of these people that enjoy these indie horror games 
won't ever actually play them themselves because you know it's more fun for them to watch someone else play it or like have that kind of personality on top so you know it it is it is an interesting question you have to ask yourself as a developer is is it better to make something that people enjoy watching or is it better to make something that people enjoy playing because there has been signs of success with with both sides yeah for sure i mean it's and and with the whole like you know, watching Let's Plays and stuff, like that's something I'm guilty of. Like I don't know when the last time was that I played. And, well, actually, I do know, but it was like four months ago. Like usually, if if there's an indie horror game out there that I'm interested in, I'll usually just watch a playthrough of it because hundred <laughs> percent there really isn't much reason to get it. And you know, like there's kind of just two there's two main sides to 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 games these days, and it's. Mm-hmm. Or, or to making a, a game successful like your game has to both get get people's attention right so a lot of the games that youtubers are playing they get people's attention they're interesting to watch and then they also need you know in addition that that element of you know being interesting or that look interesting to play specifically and there's so, always yeah. like uh ted mentioned earlier the meme ability of something <clears throat> like um if you watch a GIF of my beautiful paper smile, you're like, okay, it looks neat. I like the art in that game. I think it's cool. But yeah, I, I don't have that feeling of like, I could do better, which is a big part. And you probably know this from making Steam pages whenever we're looking at screenshots and things like that, or doing video, like you want to show something in like in a, kind of an action situation. So people can be like, oh, I want to get in on that. I think I could do this better, especially with Spookware, our most recent um, Steam release. A lot of the, uh, the, screenshots and such are action shots so people can be like i can do that better but also back to meme ability choo choo charles is super memeable like it is insanely memeable just like that gif of i don't know if you knew this gavin but the game is memeable yeah i don't know <laughs> what i don't know if you knew this gavin there's a little You're bit of kidding a little bit of pro social media strategy no like uh and I think that has a big thi- a big part to do with it. Uh, the success of a game on social media is how people can take what you've created and make memes out of it. And everything I see about Choo Choo Charles is like, oh yeah, that's definitely that's so- I could do something very funny with that. Uh, anytime there's a giant train chasing you, and you could just put a caption on it that says like, whenever you forget to put the chicken out to thaw, and you've got you know the spider sh- train chasing you. One billion likes. You can have that one. You can post that on your Twitter anytime. Yeah, I mean, like, dude on uh, on TikTok re-uploaded the trailer with the caption, um, you know, spider or trains aren't sentient and don't grow spider legs. And it's, it's just the trailer. And you got like seven million views. So it's it's a thing. It's a thing. Have there been any knockoff games on Choo Choo Charles yet on itch? And not that I'm aware of. Oh, come. We have a spookware knockoff. Did you see that? No. Know this. It's a fan I game. It's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm stoked on it. I think it's cool. I mean, that's a sign that you made it, right? Like that someone wants to make a fan game of your game. Yeah. You know what? I'm I'm gonna make a fan game. I'm gonna I'm gonna call it uh, Bad Ben. Uh, yes. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm gonna call it not even Choo Choo. I'm gonna call it uh, Toot Toot Tony. Toot Toot Tony. <laughs> yeah, it's literally going to be the exact same game. As as Choo Choo Charles, uh, and except except it's going to have like a lot more uh, candy. It will be like a candy Candyland train oh, game. That's good. Yeah, you should do another one called Tomas the Train Person. Uh, or so or do honestly, Thomas the I train. should just call it Thomas the Train, right? Because yeah. Thomas the Train apparently is an official thing. Yeah, it's know. not. Guys, I, I, I've been sitting here this whole podcast, like in the fetal position, like rocking back and forth. Like Thomas the Train is like not a real thing. It, it's not real. Never was. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a hard reckoning to have. Uh, but I was going to ask Gavin, uh, how freeing is it to go from my beautiful paper small, which is a very linear but very pretty game, to like this semi open world shooting at the spider train game? Like your options must be so much larger now. Yeah, absolutely. Like a big part of, you know, like coming up with the the idea for for this game is that I I wanted to have something that I like didn't need to take seriously, <laughs> like I could just like screw around with. Um, 
and yeah like it's yeah i mean it's it's designed in such a way that it's it's pretty open like i can you know if i decide i want to change something a little bit or if i want to add some crazy new gun or some weird story twist like i i can do that and people <laughs> won't even question it you know so yeah it's it's definitely nice it's really nice yeah i watched your uh, your video from earlier today about adding weapons of mass destruction to choo choo charles um yeah it's just looking good what's uh what's end of production looking like where are you at in development if you don't mind letting the listeners know a little bit you don't have to tell them everything but a little bit yeah so currently it's still i'd say in in early development i'm still kind of working out the all of the base mechanics and everything or adding all the base mechanics um I've got a lot of the, the the big stuff done, but there's still some major things. Like, for example, Choo Choo Charles' AI is essentially non-existent at the moment. <laughs> you know, so there, there's there's still some some big things to do there. Uh, I still have a lot of work. To, like, I haven't added any of the the missions and and stuff like that yet. The map is still in very early stages. So I, you know, originally I was hoping to have it uh launch in like i think i was i was thinking like february sometime around then and i'm still gonna try to push for that but i i'm not entirely sure how how realistic that is anymore um so i i don't know Ho- hopefully you know like before like next summer or during uh next summer sometime around then and whenever i see games like choo choo charles kind of those semi-open world kind of goofy premise games the first thing I see people asking for is multiplayer. How many people have been just on you about multiplayer? Thousands, if not tens of thousands. It's like every other comment I get. It's, it's kind of sad because it's like it's not something <laughs> that's going to be uh, feasible and it's not something I can add. But like looking back at it, I'm sure it would be a fantastic addition. Um, so it, it is kind of sad. Like I, I think it would be a really, really cool feature, but it's just Oh man, you're you're doing it wrong. You got you got a you got a you got a vague producer CEO, you gotta say never say never or something like that. It's something we're looking strongly into. We hear the fans. Yeah. I, it's like with uh oh go ahead, Abby. I was just gonna say I, I'm gonna write a a bad review when the game comes out because there's no multiplayer. I'm just gonna be like, I like everything about the game except there's no multiplayer. Yeah, Honestly, exactly. that's probably going to be a problem when it launches. <laughs> yeah, like you you look at Subnautica, which is a super well-made, wonderful game, big open world, underwater game, and you still see bad reviews kind of buried down there. They're like, can't play with my homies, zero out of ten. And I think that's super unfair. That is- like they never said it had multiplayer. Like why? I'm almost never bothered by negative reviews, except when they complain about something that I never claimed was in the game. Yeah. That's, that's the only time. Yeah, that's a big problem with uh, with things like that. And I see that a lot, you know, as a games reviewer. People sometimes get upset about things that they think should have been in the game, but were never, ever, like, shown to yeah. be in the game. Mm-hmm. Like, imagine being so up on your high horse. Like, I know there's going to be a few that play Choo Choo Charles and go... He never added multiplayer, and I think that it should have had multiplayer, so I'm giving this a bad review. Mm-hmm. And I, I think coming at it from the standpoint of, this game doesn't have what I think it should have, just don't write a review. Like, go make your own game. Like, I know that's, like, a shitty thing to say t- sometimes, but, like, if you think a game should have this feature, like, really badly... <laughs> no one's stopping you from downloading like, Unity. Anybody... <laughs> yeah, Unity is free. You can You can hop on... You can hop on Udemy. This is not a sponsorship. They don't pay me, but that's what I use. You can hop on Udemy, $13. You can learn Unreal over the course of like six months. Get started in Unreal. Make your own game with the things that you want to see in it, but don't judge other people whenever they don't put the feature that you want in their creation. That's pretty funny. Yeah. I don't know. I uh, I mean, we, we get a lot of... I understand this for, for Spookware because like we, we advertise Spookware as like an adventure game with like a micro game focus. And people will be like, well, I expected this to be just the micro games and not the adventure game part, which like does make sense. We did name it Spookware. It's like not like we were completely unaware of like what we were evoking with that. But like, I mean, I, I'd be pretty dishonest for me to be like, oh well, we had no idea we'd be making some WarioWare connections there. But like, you know, I, at the same time, it's like you know, uh, 
the the people do their own things with their own games. You know, like you can't expect everyone to have the exact same perception that you do of like what's going to be in this final product. I don't know. It's it can be hard to kind of match the fan expectations with uh, uh, like what you're actually doing. And at the same time, you can't exactly just like call all your fans that played your game like an asshole for like not agreeing with your direction. <laughs> like there's only so rude you can get before you become like the aloof like dev that just like is completely out of touch, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's like that's that kind of thing is something that I'm hoping like the dev logs will help uh, lessen a little bit is, you know, just like from like keeping people up to date with what stuff is actually being added to the game, you know, maybe people will be, you know, they'll just be more in tune with, you know, what to expect. So yeah, exactly. Ho- hopefully that'll help. Yeah. I touched on that earlier. The dev logs, I think, um, I don't know. I like it. I like a developer that does dev logs because I can look at how the process goes and your videos are also really funny. So that helps too. Um, they're very fast. Like whenever you're watching them, the cuts and the edits, like, it's good stuff, but it, it makes me feel like I know kind of what's going on with your game. There are some developers who will announce something and then just disappear, and that's their right. You know, if they want to put all their focus on their game, uh, definitely not going to call out any specific developers or any games like Scorn, but um, some people <laughs> announce something yeah. and disappear. And I think letting in the fans is a cool way to do it. You know, it, it keeps them conscious of your game, you know, because if you're subscribed to Two Star Games' channel, you're getting some content every couple weeks about something you're interested in. I think that really helps to build mm-hmm. and keep your fan base where they are. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to diverge for a second there because I want to whine about Scorn for a minute. But uh, I like actually played the alpha for Scorn like forever ago when they were doing exclusive press demos, and I still have access to it. So I should like re-download it and see if it's like some kind of developer build where I can actually see their progress. Like maybe they've forgotten about it. Maybe I've got like secret access to like Scorn shit. Secret scorn the, shit. Cool. The developers have forgotten, but not the not the people who. I mean, I I played that scorn alpha for so like three years ago, like four years ago even. Like, damn, I wonder what's taking them so long. Gavin, what do you think is taking the scorn developers so long? You should make bold claims that they will probably listen to. <laughs> uh, I have no freaking clue. I. <laughs> You should go with the gamer standard of lazy devs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. yeah they're, they're just they they hate the players. Water. Yeah, why do you think the sport devs they're just hate they're just trying to make us all mad? Yeah, they want their it's game to fail. Yeah, I'm not asking for you know full transparency at all from any developer. Like if if you want to announce your game and disappear while you work on it, cool. But realize that that you know if you go down that route, people without context will always think the worst if they have no context for it they'll just go oh this dev's just lazy doesn't want us to have this sick game that they showed off and um i think that's also part of the promotional cycle is you have to keep your fans looped in here and there about what's going on or else they immediately assume that you are doing the world's worst thing and i can't imagine how bad it would be with a kickstarter or something like that because if you disappear for more than a month they're automatically like oh i've been robbed and uh, I think it falls on the fans a lot, too, uh, as much as a dev who disappears. It's interesting because there's kind of two sides to this like debate of like what does a developer owe their audience, quote, quote, in terms of like, you know, for, for updates or things like that. And um, it's kind of famous that like the uh, I don't know if you've heard of a small indie game called No Man's Sky. But uh, when that game um, like lit on fire and did a tailspin into the hate dimension, it like people were like demanding updates and uh hello games which is is it hello games that they they did no man's sky right hello games am i I'm correct with that yeah they um kind of infamously like just kind of went like okay well we're not going to give any answers to anyone we're just going to go work on the game and so they like went silent for a while and then they just went and worked on the game and uh when they came back they were like okay well you know here's the game it's it's improved you know this much and people were like yay and the, the CEO of Hello Games put out a statement being like, you know, you don't have to, like, keep giving your, your, your fans updates. That's, like, a bad idea because, you know, they their expectations are going to be different from reality and you just need to focus on finishing your game. You don't owe them any explanation. You should just focus on your game, which, you know, sounds nice. And there's a certain kernel of truth, I think, to that, where I do think that, uh, like, you know, you don't necessarily owe gamers explanations for every little thing that you do. But the benefit that, you know, he had over, 
you know, most other game developers that are their their fans are demanding answers is that like No Man's Sky, b- despite being a quote notorious flop, made like a billion dollars. You know, like it's so it sold super well, and not every like not I, I'm sorry, not every game sells that well. So you know, you got to kind of try to like some of that advice doesn't necessarily apply to every player. So you know how 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 would like I don't know where I'm going with that. But it's 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 just not a one for one, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. No Man's Sky also is in the uh, in a position of being kind of a redemption mm-hmm. story, you know, after its after its launch. And I, I bought uh, No Man's Sky at launch. It was not as feature full as had been advertised, but it was still a perfectly serviceable game. And props to Hello Games for just getting at it for a couple of years now. They're still releasing updates for No Man's Sky. And I think a big part of that is uh, everybody kind of likes a redemption arc and the word of mouth got insane. You know, people were telling me or hitting me up going, have you played No Man's Sky? And I'm like, yeah, I played it at launch. Now, like, no, you ha- it's a completely different Things game now. Things have changed. Uh, yeah, it was a big word of mouth push. And I don't know if you'd see that with a game that had had a average but not great release. I think it had to have such a bad release for it to come back so strong later. Yeah, that's fair. But we are rolling up on the end of are our we hour. Really? Um, we are, yeah, Damn. yeah. I know, right? It's, Gavin, you're such a good oh, guest. Yeah. I can't believe this. Of course, of course. Thank, thank you, thank you so much. What other what other children's cartoon would you like to ruin? I, I, all of them. All Every of them? single one. Every single one. Is there any that you wouldn't like to ruin? Is a better question. Uh, <laughs> Do you think that like there's like certain like okay so what and this is something I wanted to ask earlier. What do you think is the fascination with turning old older cartoons into something horror and I'm, I'm like you know there was that phase where it's like the the garfield as an elder horror. apparently now garfield's a goth girlfriend i don't know fuck how the fuck that happened but what is, what is happening yeah i don't understand what's happening but like it, it, what do you think it is about that kind of childhood stuff that gives that kind of fascination i don't even know i i just know that it's a thing and i'm just running with it <laughs> i just know that it works yeah. yeah, he he's like he's like you know I just I just hopped on this train, but it's quite literally, and you know it, it works for me. So I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna keep on chugging along. Did Abby just badunsk herself like no one would notice? Yeah, she yeah, just I gave did. herself like yeah. a, a rim shot. shot. shot it. She's like, but I'm, Jesus you know, Christ. I do I do have it. I do have an answer to your question though, um, hmm. because I I was thinking of like what I would have said because I'm thinking of it as you said it, obviously. Um, but I think it's because old cartoons are naturally creepy because mm-hmm. of like their weird old timey clunky, um, productions, right? Like, mm-hmm. even, like things like Sesame street and like Barney, like it, there are things that like back in the day, uh, generations thought were cute for kids. And then now that we're in, uh, modern times. I feel like they're just creepy now. Like you ever see a really old show and you're like, that is the creepiest shit I've ever seen. Kind of like, okay, Ronald McDonald, like how back in the eighties, Ronald McDonald was the shit. Like he was the face. And now you don't see Ronald McDonald anywhere. Like actually advertising for McDonald's because people don't like clowns and people think Ronald McDonald's creepy. But back in the day, they actually it was fully acceptable for him ahead, to Abby. like be out out and about and hanging out with children and hey get get average Joe down the street pay him like you know two bucks an hour to go be like Ronald McDonald and hang out with children on the weekends like, it, like legit but the, like that's that's the thing um, is that like these things that were that were acceptable and cute back in the day are now modern not modernized or like we look back at them we're like ooh. You know, it's kind of like when you go through that weird phase in middle school where you're wearing like really bright eyeshadow and it's super ugly. And then you look back on your pictures and you're like, ooh, that's creepy and, and bad. It's, oh, yeah, it's yeah, bad. exactly. I remember that. Yeah. Mm, <laughs> yeah, I didn't have super bright eyeshadow, oh, but um, I was featured. I was featured in one of my yearbooks that I have here in the house. <laughs> uh, my freshman year of high school, I had like shoulder length hair that was black and uh, during the summer, I decided that I wanted to dye it fire engine red. <laughs> so my first, my first license, 
I still have my first license, but I have Fire Engine Red Hair in my first license. And in the yearbook, they gave me like a half page feature because this is rural Oklahoma. So a guy with super bright red hair is something you give a half page to in the yearbook. And I still have that yearbook. And they had me like, I had like braces and shit. And they had me hold my hair like up in my hand so they could take a picture. And uh, whenever I worked at a pizza hut here in town, um, one of the younger employees had found that yearbook and brought it to work to show everybody. And it's like me, no beard, <laughs> braces, long, bright red hair. And I was like, get that fucking thing. How the fuck here. did you convince someone to marry you? Shot. Can we have a screenshot of this and put this as the thumbnail on and the YouTube video? No, 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 no. But um, I, I will say, Abby, you were talking about how we as a society decided that Ronald McDonald was unacceptable at some point, which that is part of it. But uh, another part, I think, is the uh, what I like to call the corruption of comfort, which is these things that were comforting whenever we were younger. You know, PBS shows, Sesame Street, Mr. Rogers, mm-hmm. um, Barney, things like that. Now people are going, how can we make that creepy? And we're starting to see it also with Gen Z and SpongeBob, oddly enough. Like, how can you make SpongeBob creepy? Uh, and it's that. It's easy because it's already creepy. That subversion and corruption of comforting things from our childhoods. You know, it's something that was never made to be scary or creepy. So it's it's kind of fun to make it weird and creepy and scary. I grew up watching Thomas the Tank Engine, and um, that spider train scares the shit out of me. Grew up watching Tommy the Tank Man. Hey, Tommy Tanks, how's it going? I mean, to be fair, though, like, as we as we have grown in as like a, in society, you know, um, there were things back in the day that were acceptable. Like, for example, um, you know, we, even before like Stranger Danger was a thing, like it was fully acceptable for some like creepy looking puppet to come out of the of a trash can and be like, hey, kids. Let me teach you about numbers and how about you come into this little nook that I I found and, you know, I'll give you candy and stuff like that. That in modern terms is incredibly creepy and unacceptable. So like when we have shows that exhibit that and everybody back in the day was like, my children, my children, a cow and stuff is fantastic. Like we put it on an actual horror level, right? Because we, we hope that it doesn't reach that level, but People like us, we we love to take it to the next level because we love we love making horror. But you know, um, something like that is just it really it's it's what like I said before in the in, in the podcast so far is that it's one of my favorite kinds of horror, um, which is why Choo Choo Charles is such an intriguing game in general. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yo yo, he's like he's like he's like. This is this is like I I just wanted to make like a horror train game and y'all are getting so in depth about it. I'm starting a theory crafting YouTube channel just for Choo Choo Charles. I'm gonna be the next game theory. Oh yeah. Um, but Gavin, where can we find you on the mm. internet? Um, you can find me at uh, Two Star Games on YouTube for devlogs and stuff. At Two Star Games on Twitter for random screenshots and stuff. And uh, yeah, those those are my main platforms. That's that's about it. Oh, or on Steam, you know, you can wish list Choo Choo Charles. That I, I always appreciate that. Um, yeah, I'll definitely do that. Abby, where can we find you on the internet? I am on Twitter at G. I am also on Instagram at uh, at Speakeasy. and um, you can also find me on Discord on the Dread XP server and the YouTube and you know. At- everywhere and ted where can we find you, you can on the find internet? me wherever the darkness creeps through the light i don't know something spooky or pretentious i don't know uh you can find me on twitter i mean i'm, I'm mostly on the dread xp twitter but i do have my own twitter at dread Henschke. um i don't tweet so probably don't follow me he does tweet it's, it's, it's unless you unless you're nasa all of Ted, all ted uses twitter for is to ask nasa questions <laughs> so if you are nasa or affiliated with nasa Please reach out to Ted. Please, okay, NASA, please talk to Ted. He needs yeah, he, these, he, these questions answered. I, I mean, there's just important things about space that I want to know. Like, I know, I feel you. Um, and you, <laughs> you can find me on Twitter uh, at the DreadXP, at DreadXP underscore, or on my personal page at HorrorPlayed for Horror You Haven't Played content. Um, we're on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook, uh, DreadXP Games on all of those services. Mm-hmm. 
But I want to thank Gavin for coming on, on short notice even, to come talk to us about Choo Choo Charles and how afraid we are and how the earth is flat. Not a problem. <laughs> it's good, good to talk with you guys. Thank you, thanks for thanks for, uh, for having me on. In Choo Choo Charles, will you be uh, like able to drive off the edge of the flat earth or will the, will the ice walls stop you? Uh, sadly, no. The, the ice walls, they're, they're, they're just all over the place. <laughs> These ice walls yeah. be acting all Government crazy. Government getting us everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Anyways, yeah, thanks for thanks for being here. Yeah, I guess we can play the the outro music. I don't have it on hand, but can you beatbox us out, Gavin? Um, I'm, I'm gonna say no. <laughs> I'm gonna reject that yeah, request. I, uh, that has worked one time, and it was with Andrew Holschult, and he totally did uh, mouth noises as our. Oh, outro. Yeah, that's right. You, you He's the composer though for New Blood. Yeah, so. you, you know why it didn't work is because you called him by Gavin and not G G Easy. Yeah, G Money. Uh, G, yeah, G, G money, money, yeah. I, I told, I gotta I get that right. G money, can can we get a freestyle to send us out? Like uh, maybe a freestyle about Choo Choo Charles. Money.